0: Good morning, and welcome to East Tennessee Now, a weekly public affairs program featuring some of the people and organizations that make our community such a great place to live, work, and raise a family. Here's your host for East Tennessee Now.
1: Good morning, and thank you so much for joining me. This is Michelle Silva, and who's ready to have 2020 over and done with? Just raise your hand. Yeah, well, many of us do, many nonprofits as well. A recent survey revealed that nonprofit agencies across East Tennessee lost around $20 million due to canceled events and a loss of donations from the pandemic. Many of these groups are focusing their efforts on next year when things return to normal, as we we're hoping. One of the organizations is Knox Heritage. And this morning, we're checking in with Todd Morgan, who is the executive director. First of all, good morning, and thank you so much for joining us, Todd.
2: Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate having the opportunity to be here.
1: Uh, we want to hear all that's going on with Knox Heritage. I know you, your team of three still working hard behind the scenes, even with the pandemic and events not being able to take place like they normally did.
2: Well, we are, and uh, it's really been such an interesting year, hasn't it, well,
1: uh, yeah. for
2: everyone? But uh, we have had a great opportunity to kind of slow down and do a lot of internal things. So even though a lot of our public events that are normally the face of a lot of what heritage is doing uh, have not been able to happen because of the pandemic, uh, we've been doing a lot of things that we're super excited about. Some of them aren't uh, exciting from a community perspective. For example, we're launching a new donor database system. So that's not really sexy, but it's something that's going to be really beneficial to people who are members and donors to Knox Heritage and also to our staff. Uh, We've also been doing a lot of preliminary planning for 2021 uh, in hopes that things are going to settle down as we get hopefully at least into spring and early summer that we'll feel like we're getting back to a little bit of normalcy because we have some programmatic changes that we want to introduce to people, some exciting new things that we want to introduce to folks. And I think it could be our best year ever.
1: Okay. Are you gonna give us any more than just that little hint, that little tease? <laughs> I,
2: don't know. I want you to get excited and look forward to twenty twenty one. But but we I think will. We uh, all are. We...
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, we'll be happy to have unfortunately this, this whole year behind us, I think. But we've been fortunate. We have some wonderful, just wonderful, wonderful members and, and supporters that have helped us. Um, we have a great board of directors that, that do so much for us. And we recently, just last Friday actually, had a preservation conference. And normally those are in-person events we've been doing for years. This year we took it virtually and did it through Zoom. And it was wonderful. We had a, a, a great day, and I think it was very informative for everyone. We received good feedback. So we've tried to adapt where we can, as so many people have. And we've learned a lot through that process.
1: And so explain to those folks who may be joining us this morning and said, you know, I've heard of Knox Heritage, just not sure exactly what they do.
2: Ah, so Knox Heritage has been around since 1974. It grew out of a group of people who came together to specifically save the Bijou Theater when it was threatened uh, by demolition. And so since then, it's been the historic preservation organization For Knoxville and Knox County and then uh, around 2009 we actually developed a regional program to be a resource for 15 other counties that surround Knox County so we approach preservation in a lot of different ways and have done it differently throughout the years because back if you go back to the very beginnings of the organization downtown had sort of died out people had moved out to the suburbs so downtown revitalization was a big component of our programming. Well, now downtown is doing really well and our programming has shifted to other neighborhoods and other subjects. And over the time too, we've become the stewards of places like Historic Westwood, the airplane filling station up in Powell. Um, So our stewardship role with Historic Properties, having easements that protect Historic Properties has moved to the forefront of our programming and we're still doing neighborhood work. We have a revolving fund that lets us go into neighborhoods, take a blighted property and restore it in an effort to stabilize the neighborhood and interject some new energy into these places and preserve these historic assets for the community. And we do all of that. We, You know, we couldn't do it without support from throughout the community. So um, I have to thank all of our members and donors throughout the years because we are a membership-based organization and that what that's what helps us do what we do.
1: And what do members get being a member?
2: Oh, well, you know, there's a lot of advantages to being a member of N Y X Heritage just from a communications and networking perspective. We do a lot of events that are designed to keep the preservation conversation going within the community, uh, but we can also be a technical resource to folks as well. And then it's a social network for a lot of folks because they have found other like-minded people who love historic preservation. They love history. They love architecture. They love the community uh, and moving through the community and interacting with neighborhoods and places. So whenever we have events like our big Summer Supper series, which we couldn't do every year but is one of our biggest uh, fundraisers and also one of the things that connects us to so many people annually, we specifically target historic places that are hard for people to get into so that they can go and have a beautiful dining event, but also learn about the place and its history and about why preservation is important. So members have the first opportunity to buy tickets to things like that or to be invited to special events and to be kind of in the know with what's going on within the preservation community.
1: Yeah, those dinners, I've always admired seeing all your photos from those. because um, they are absolutely beautiful, and I know those had to be put on hold because of COVID. And um, Any dates when those may be coming back at this time, or is it just kind of hold and wait and see?
2: Well, you know, we, we fully hope to launch this next year so that we want it to be our typical schedule in 2021. So hopefully things will calm down and we'll know how to manage uh, dealing with the pandemic and COVID, you know, But we planned 2020. We had it ready to go. So we're going to bring those suppers out in 2021. So we're already ahead of the game. And every one of those suppers is so unique. It's really just a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go to a place and experience that event with those people. And I have to acknowledge our volunteers because in 2019, it took over 200 volunteers to help make Summer Suppers happen. that's amazing. If you think about a community event for a nonprofit and 200 people coming together to make it happen, I think that says a lot about how much people care about preservation and how much they appreciate uh, and want to contribute to Knox Heritage and its mission.
1: Absolutely. People with a passion. And are there any specific neighborhoods that – You're working on right now.
2: Oh, yes, absolutely. Well, we always have something going on. And then, of course, we're always planning. (laughs) So that's (laughs) one of the fun fun aspects of what we do. Uh, We currently have a project in Fort Sanders. Uh, We took a home that was threatened by demolition and moved it across the street. We did that in partnership with Covenant, uh, Fort Sanders uh, Hospital, which was expanding the parking garage, and also the city of Knoxville and worked closely with the Neighborhood Association there. So there were three homes threatened, and two were saved. One moved another block to the east and was restored by a private developer. And our project is directly across the street. And if you drive by, it's on Highland Avenue, it's 1815 Highland. Uh, The outside is completely finished, uh, and we are working on the inside right now. And in the end, we will have a two-bedroom, two-bath house that we will be renting So for the first time ever. We want to hold on to a property. In the past, we have taken on blighted properties, restored them, and then sold them to a new owner and moved on. We've taken the money back out and put that into another project. Uh, For this one, we would like to retain ownership for different reasons. Uh, One is that we wanted to work with the neighborhood to hopefully attract a new professional resident to the neighborhood, maybe a professional who works at the hospital or the University of Tennessee to add some balance to the to the demographics of the neighborhood. And also for us, as increasing our role as stewards of properties in the community, we would like to be able to have that as an example. And we would like for people to know that we are out there preaching about preservation and we preach about neighborhood overlays and design guidelines and easements and all of these things but we're not afraid to live under them because we do. And we know how to work within those. So hopefully it will help us shine a light on some of the things that scare people about living in historic neighborhoods. Like we can say, well, here's what we did. We've actually lived it. We're not just talking about theory here. So it's something that we can continue to be a part of this neighborhood, which is so dynamic and it's always changing. And we feel like this particular neighborhood is important for us that keep a presence in, at least for several years to come.
1: Oh, yeah. And those of us who might be living in newer homes, it's nice to appreciate the architecture and just how the different designs and everything of decades ago.
2: Absolutely. And we can learn so much from these neighborhoods architecturally, but also how they're planned, uh, how they're walkable. I know one of the things people particularly love about historic neighborhoods, they typically have sidewalks, and so you can walk around and you can The architecture up close, you can experience gardens that people have planted along the street, but then they also have these wonderful front porches, and it's a a nice way to connect with other people in a neighborhood.
1: And I know with fire prevention week coming up, time to think about scheduling if you haven't already getting those chimneys cleaned and inspected that that's something big that Knox Heritage encourages especially in the older homes
2: oh absolutely and we live with it of course our offices are at historic Westwood which is a beautiful home built in 1890 and was it when it was restored we actually included you know everything that you would need from emergency lighting to sprinkler system to smoke detectors and fire extinguishers and all of that but now that it's done We have to make sure that every year we're maintaining these systems so that sprinklers are being inspected. And and we actually do not have functioning chimneys within this particular property, but if you do have a home with a functioning chimney, it's really important to make sure that that's inspected because, you know, once these places are destroyed by fire or severely damaged by fire, sometimes they're either lost forever or a really significant part of their character is gone. So just doing some basic maintenance every year can go so far in making sure that your investment isn't lost as a property owner, but as a community, we don't lose some really cherished assets.
1: What are some of the buildings around Knoxville that have been affected?
2: Uh, You know, over the years, of course, there have been lots of buildings that have been lost to fire, partly because we didn't have the sophisticated preventive measures in place that we do now. Um, A lot of our building codes now are much more adaptable in working with historic buildings, and that's that's a wonderful asset. Um, When you lose a building uh, to fire and it's just gone forever, uh, we lose as a community part of our heritage, but then we also have a dramatic change in our very sense of place. So, for example, uh, Knoxville College has a wonderful history behind it but when buildings sit empty for a very long time they can completely be gutted you know by fire and cannot be recreated or replaced very easily uh, in morristown there was morristown college that had a lot of fires due to vandalism the properties had set empty and boarded up we have the tennessee military institute down in sweetwater uh, that has suffered damage from water and fire and then in knoxville there's just you we can take you to westwood and show you some pictures of places that we've lost over the years. One of the things, one of the places that really stands out to me is the Pickle Mansion in Fort Sanders, which was lost to fire and kind of left open to the elements for a very long time. It was such an amazing structure to see and photograph and just to walk by it. I remember walking by the remains on the street and its presence there was just so profound as to explaining what that neighborhood was. For the community and what it was like back in the day, and those are the things. If I had a magic wand, I would bring back tomorrow, you know, buildings downtown and such that we've lost over time. Uh, but we can't bring those back. But we can take care of what we have now, and that's important.
1: Absolutely, and we're actually going to be talking with Josh Kate, who is the owner of Tennessee Fireplace and Chimney. We're going to be talking to him about the importance of having those chimneys inspected, um, having them cleaned, and just the technology that they have these days that they can really look for any problems. And more specifically, just not even in your chimney, in your crawl space, as well as the attic and other areas.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, whenever you look at fire safety with buildings, the first thing is we want to make sure the people who are in the building are safe. So We want to make sure that you know, if you're sleeping there, if you're just in that space, you can be alerted and you have time to get out of the building. So that's always priority number one. And then, of course, the second priority is to make sure that the property itself uh, is minimally damaged in case there is an event of fire uh, and that there are plans in place in case that damage does happen. That involves working with professionals, just like the folks you mentioned and others, architects, engineers, depending on the extent a fire damage once it happens, uh, assembling that team of professionals uh, is so important because a property can be very vulnerable after that happens. It can be vulnerable to, to, um, to water issues, structural issues, making sure that things can at least be shored up and taken care of while plans for repairing and replacing elements within the structure can get underway. So Obviously, we don't even want to get to that point. So if we can do all the preventive things up front, just like your annual inspections, and and just being in a place and being aware of what is going on on a daily basis is important. Because as you live in a historic property and move through it, you know you have to think about things like, Well, it's Christmas, and so we're going to decorate for Christmas. So so are are we using a live tree? Are we using an artificial tree? You don't want to keep Christmas tree lights plugged in and then go off and leave it. You know, anything that makes you vulnerable to a fire event, having lots of extension cords, always keeping a check on appliances, you know, that you have, stoves and other plug-in appliances. Those are just things we need to do in every home on a regular basis to make sure that we're safe.
1: That is absolutely correct, Todd. We appreciate all that you're doing at Knox Heritage and reminding us how to protect our homes, whether they be newer or older. And all that you do for Knox Heritage, actually your entire staff of three people and the volunteers and lots of members that help make things happen.
2: Absolutely. Uh, It is a collective effort because, you know, people feel like this is very, very important to our community to protect our historic assets, Uh, they tell our story. You know, they're what make Knoxville and any community in East Tennessee unique in the world. And so these historic places are the visual reminders of that, and we want to care for them. So this is a very important thing to discuss, and we love the fact that so many people support us and find this important because they then go out and tell other people and build a stronger network for how we help people understand what to do and how to do it, but then also as we move from one generation to the next, the responsibility shifts, and we need to make sure that next generation is aware so that they will also be good stewards of our, our collective heritage.
1: Well said, Todd. And how can we keep up with Knox Heritage or become a member, support it?
2: Oh, great. Well, go to our website, knoxheritage.org. We have a lot of information there. Uh, You can drop by Historic Westwood and visit with us. Now, right now, we actually have that property closed due to the pandemic, at least through the end of October, but you're always welcome to call us. Our email contacts are on our website as well. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, (laughs) LinkedIn. Uh, (laughs) We have a lot of social media outlets, YouTube, you name it. We try to be out there sharing things with folks all the time.
1: Todd Morgan, who is the Executive Director for Knox Heritage, just Catching us up on what's been going on during the pandemic, as well as plans for next year, and some good information on fire safety awareness, which we're going to continue this conversation. Josh Kate, who is the owner of Tennessee Fireplace and Chimney, since it is Fire Prevention Fire Safety Week, October 4th through the 11th. Hello, and good morning, and welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for having me on. It happens a lot in our area. 90% of fires that you see are, are deemed as chimney fires. They're actually structure fires from, from combustibles being too close to a chimney, and they just get heated over a period of time. And it starts a process called pyrolysis, where it lowers the igniting point of the wood, and then finally it just goes. So a lot of times it's not a high heat occurrence like a flue fire in a flue system that gets out of control and can't be contained. It's just a structure fire from construction defects.
1: And what is the first thing we should be thinking of with Fire Prevention Week coming up? We have our smoke detectors taken care of, batteries replaced. What else?
0: So we got to get these inspections in. You know, 2020, we've got just so much more technology than we had. We can really mitigate so much risk with good video scans of the flu system. We can see everything that's going on, there, every crack, crevice, breach. And then the latest thing we're doing now is we're getting in attics, we're getting in crawl spaces. We've got to start seeing how these things are built. Those were different 100 years ago, you know, so we've got to really get in there and get dirty to really look at these systems.
1: How often?
0: Every single year, regardless of how many times we use it. uh, You know, things move, they shift, they change, they crack. We want to lay eyes on that every single year.
1: Meaning your chimney and your attics and everything? Yeah, we want to get in the
0: attics, especially in our area. A lot of these chimneys that were built, prior to the NFPA code, are going to have combustibles and stuff touching right up against them. Like I said, that's that powerization taking place, you know, insulation, all kinds of things that are just sitting up there smoldering.
1: What is it that causes the actual fire then in those cases?
0: So they've done testing, and there's not any, and this is with the CSI, the Chimney Sweep Institute of America. We've seen, like, the lowest igniting point, and this is supposedly, has been around 185, 200 degrees, which is, like, less than what it takes to make paper burn, just because it dries out. So long, the igniting point just gets so low. Finally, it was kind of light on its own.
1: And about how much time does it take to do the average inspection?
0: So we're going to spend usually about two hours at every house in there, and obviously we sweep it. That's the easiest part. You know, we're going to sweep it out and clean it. We're not using the old fiberglass brushes like you see in, in Mary Poppins. We've got the new rotary system. It spins up through there, you know, similar to like duct cleaning. Get it all cleaned out. We're going to scan it. That'll tell us all the flu system and all that's going on. Then we're going to climb in the attic and get in the crawl space and look at all that. So, you know, you're looking at a good hour and a half, two-hour process. It's kind of our standard inspection. It really, by definition, would be a level two inspection for the NFPA code, which is basically inspecting every visible, accessible area of a chimney. And we just kind of made it our standard because we just realized we would do an inspection and do a large repair and end up getting in the attic. and like, wow, look at all this stuff we didn't even see because we didn't get up here kind of just added it to our thing and we just kind of call it a level one plus an attic and crawl space inspection.
1: But in the attic could lie the bigger danger.
0: Absolutely yeah I mean that's that's usually where a lot of your, your fires take place. Another you know common thing we see is the hearth extension in front of the fireplace. Those aren't supposed to have wood underneath and there's a lot of them in our area that are just sitting on top of plywood subfloors just smoldering.
1: What about people who have gas fireplaces? Do we need to have our chimneys cleaned or anything done?
0: Yeah um I think gas is actually taken over wood in our area. It's just the technology is so great. We're still going to clean like a gas um, log set in a fireplace because they're going to be a little dirtier. But a lot of these like direct vent and appliance type systems, not necessarily uh, cleaning them as it is, checking them every year, keeping the warranties up on them and adjusting them and, and, and checking all the safety mechanisms.
1: And so that would be almost like this, the same type of visit that you do to somebody with the regular chimney?
0: we call that a gas service obviously if we can get in the attic there we're going to get in there Um, we're going to check all the gas pressures and pilot lights and shutoffs and stuff like that
1: and you said this is something someone should be doing once a year but is this about the time that people usually schedule uh, these types of inspections
0: yeah it usually ramps up this we really do a lot to forward schedule our existing customers and try to get them out of peak season so that we can kind of keep our wait short. We try to keep it under four weeks. So so a lot of people now are really forward thinking, and they get us out there in the spring so they're not smelling that stinky chimney and, and having to wait till the last second.
1: So is this a busy time of year for your business?
0: Yeah, we crank up now, but we've, we've been busy all year. We've been very fortunate. We do a lot of restorations and remodeling and repair of fireplaces, so we, we do a lot in the uh, summer large projects in the winter wintertime. We try to just hone in and doing the smaller chimney-specific stuff.
1: Restorations as far as where there has been a fire or to make it fireproof in the case of, like, older homes? We
0: do some fire restorations, but usually if somebody comes in, they're like, hey, it's a 100-year-old coal fireplace. I want to use it. What can we do? we several systems we can do, several different options. And they're usually pretty involved, but, you know, the, the biggest key to it is we try to do it where it looks age-appropriate. We don't want to kind of make it look like a new chimney, so we try to restore it to where it meets all the current standards. still has that traditional look.
1: And you've worked on homes with Knox Heritage?
0: Yeah, I think we've done quite a few inspections with them, and it's always neat to inspect these old fireplaces because if you really go back to the really, really old ones, Around the late 1800s, a lot of them were actually built, and they had wood inside the chimney. So it's, it's really neat to see some of these old chimneys if they're still standing.
1: How did they not have more fires?
0: So They had a lot of fires, and there's a really cool guy in our industry that taught a class on this. So they used to build chimneys that way, and they would build them leaning away from the house, and there would be a post under them. When they caught on fire, like most wood like that, they would cut the post, and the chimney would fall away from the house. So it's, it's really neat to see these old chimneys and how they just kind of made it work.
1: And we have many of those around here?
0: No, I've only seen a few of them reverse laid. I've seen them kind of back away from the house. I haven't seen any propped up by sticks. I don't know if there's any left. I've seen a few that were made with mud and straw and wood in them. There's, there's not really a whole lot of them left.
1: I guess the best or safest chimney you could have is what?
0: So They, they teach you this at the CSI. The only safe chimney is one you don't use. So there's always going to be risk. We just want to mitigate it and, and make sure we're inspecting it and meets all the standards.
1: And that's always, in order to get these inspected and checked, it's always with a fireplace and chimney company.
0: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, 20, 30 years ago, they didn't have the technology now. It kind of consisted of a flashlight, and whoever happened to be cleaning chimneys that, that month, you know, that was a – Chimney Soup industry is very young in America, so it was kind of a side job for very many years.
1: But times have changed.
0: They have changed. And the chimney industry is really kind of catching up with some of these HVAC companies. You know, you're seeing chimney companies that got 50, 60, 70, 80 employees now. They're staying busy year-round. So it's really grown into this amazing industry.
1: And about how much should people, say, budget for for this type of service?
0: So if I was getting a good inspection done with a video scan and I was in their service area, I would expect to probably pay between you know 199 to $299, depending on um, the type of what level?
1: there's so many different scams out there and we want to let people know yeah this is something that you really should have done once a year and don't worry it's not a scam this is about how much you should be paying
0: absolutely I mean we, we tell people all the time it starts from the phone call you should feel good about them there when they get out there they should definitely have the, the, the camera system to run up the inside of the chimney you should be getting a very good detailed report with pictures in it because that's kind of your snapshot of how your chimney looks that year Homeowner's insurance may want to see it, or we may want to look at it next year to compare it to the current years, you know. You should be getting all of that stuff. It's 2020. You know, we can FaceTime across the world. Your chimney guy should be out there using all these technologies to do as best inspection as he can.
1: And real quickly, can you just run down everything that they should have?
0: Yeah, so you want to have a good camera system, either infrared, black and white, or you can use color 1080p with the light system. We have a camera system that allows us to snapshot images, but we kind of still just use iPad to take pictures. We do a 15-page digital report. We plug all the pictures in. It's very similar to a home inspection report. I find that people can read it easy. Um, we, uh, you know, it's always good if you can highlight the defects and put red arrows where the problems are. Because even me, as doing it 16 years, if someone doesn't put arrows in it, sometimes my eyes don't exactly understand what I'm looking at. They should sit down and go over it with you. It shouldn't be anything in passing, saying, "Oh, your chimney's great." We shouldn't be using any words like safe or unsafe to burn, you know, that's that, that scare tactics and we can't call any chimney safe. It's kind of a good rapport built, you know, everything open, and they should invite you in the whole process. You know, follow them around, look at the cameras. It's a very neat thing to see and understand, and we always welcome, you know, educating the customer on it.
1: Okay, and then what potential problems are there, just that there's buildup within the chimney usually?
0: Yeah, we always want to get the set out, Um You know, if you're burning good wood and stuff, typically if you're getting it cleaned every year, you're not going to reach that point where you're looking at a flue fire. I think the biggest risk is just making sure that chimney was built to current codes and standards, which it may not have been at that time, Um, and making sure nothing's gotten deteriorated from water or high heat or anything moving.
1: So aside from getting an inspection, a good inspection every year, I need to get a chimney sweep. It's not all considered the same thing.
0: I mean, they should be... Anybody that's sweeping a chimney should be inspecting it, but no, there are people that just sweep chimneys, and that's kind of a tradition that kind of started in the 90s. The inspection's kind of the important part. Obviously, if it's got buildup in there, we want to knock it out of there.
1: We have to keep it clean and safe for Santa
0: absolutely yeah yeah we and here's the crazy part is we do about 99 percent of these from the bottom we don't really have to get on the roof all the time we like to but we're going to clean from the bottom we're going to inspect everything from the bottom with the camera so i think we need to get on the roof for us to kind of lay eyes on the very top of the masonry on the chimney
1: okay josh any other uh, tips or information you can give us for fire prevention week from your standpoint
0: yeah i think the, the other big thing is wood a very tricky thing in this area we have a lot of good hardwood in this area so you're always going to find people selling oak and hickory those are your obvious two hardest woods we have in this area they're going to give you the most btu and hottest burn but most people that are selling firewood a lot of times have just cut that wood down in so we really want to work to find wood that's actually dry um, once we start introducing wet wood we start getting extra creosote, bad smells poor performance no heat hard to start um, so i always tell people you know amazon sells you know, moisture meters for 20 bucks on uh, on the Internet, you know. So buy yourself a little moisture meter if you don't have to check for wet wood and, and check that moisture content because there's nothing worse than trying to burn a load of wet wood.
1: A very good point there.
0: And a lot of these new high-efficiency stoves and appliances we're seeing, so the 2020 EPA standards came out this year, so all the new stoves, if your wood isn't perfect, that stove will not perform correctly. We, we've had several customers that have had issues with them not getting hot, and once we start digging into it, bringing wood, it's the wood that's the problem, and you can't really tell. It looks like it's burning correctly, but it's not.
1: And then you just run into more problems, more money, and possible fires.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Well, the, well yeah. and it's like, hey, the stove's not working. right. Well, it is. They're just so energy efficient now, and they're so high efficiency. They're pulling so much heat out, they will not heat a room if the wood's not burning complete.
1: So the best thing is to call a fireplace or chimney company.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and get, get yourself a moisture meter to, to find out dry firewood. You want to make sure your wood's dry. Most of the firewood I see going down the road is for sale. They just cut it a couple days ago.
1: Some great tips there. Thank you to Josh Kate, who is the owner of Tennessee Fireplace and Chimney. We wish you a good season and you be safe out there as well. Absolutely. It was great talking with you. I hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend. I'm Michelle Silva. Thanks for listening. Remember, East Tennessee Now is available on demand as a podcast from iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Thanks for listening. I'm Michelle Silva, and I'll talk to you soon.
0: You've been listening to East Tennessee Now, a weekly public affairs program featuring some of the people and organizations that make Knoxville and East Tennessee such a great place to live. If you have a suggestion for the program, we'd love to hear from you. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 27100 knoxville tennessee 37927 or call the studios at 865-525-6000 that's 865-525-6000 east tennessee now is a presentation of midwest communications company